good to be with you this evening. Now, Charlie took some liberty in my introduction because I took a liberty at his church last year because I'm preaching through a sermon and I made the comment that if the rapture takes place between now and next year, Charlie will be able to continue the series. So that's where that comes from. People have been praying for my salvation for a long time. <laughs> Jerry Benjamin tells me that constantly. And so it's a privilege to be here. Now, yesterday we had really nice weather here on the hill. And I don't know what happens for Thanksgiving, but this has just been par for the course every time I've been here. I come from Minnesota, so this shouldn't be a problem for me. But, you know, it just seems like the temperature takes a nosedive when the Thanksgiving conference comes around. I'm so thankful to be here with Charles Price as well. I was a, a student at Bodensehof in 1979, and Charles was one of the first teachers that I had there. And Charles has been somebody who has been a source of counsel, who has been uh, a role model for me. And I think that Charles was one of the ones who I listened to very often when I was uh, growing into the ministry. And, and I wanted to emulate. And, and so I'm privileged to be here with you, Charles. Thank you so much. We've been walking together now for 40 plus years. And if Charles doesn't know I'm a Christian, nobody else would. So you can ask Charles. Well, it's a delight to be with you. And, and um, I, I'm gonna uh, start this evening by giving some general introduction, introductory comments to the section in the Gospel of John that we normally refer to as the upper, upper room discourse. It's the last meal that Jesus had with his disciples. And in that uh, section of red ink in my Bible, we have John chapter 15, where Jesus speaks about um, the vine and the branches. And so for these sessions that we're gonna have, we're gonna be speaking about abiding in Christ for the whole time. Jesus said in John 15, 1, I am the true vine. He said in John 15, 5, I am the vine and you are the branches. Now that passage, John 15, as I said, comes in a passage in John's gospel, which we uh, traditionally call the upper room discourse. And it was filled with uh, some of Christ's last words to his disciples. I have entitled this section of the Gospel of John, Godly Living in an Ungodly World. And this is directed to Christ's disciples, this section between chapters 13 and 17. Chapter 13, of course, is the Last Supper where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. And then chapter 17 is what we call the high priestly prayer of Jesus. It's interesting in John's gospel that John devotes a lot of attention to the last day in Christ's life. John chapter 13 through John chapter 19. No other gospel spends that amount of time on this 24-hour period in the life of Christ. Jesus lived between 12,000 and 13,500 days on the earth. We don't know exactly. Um, but really, there are only uh, about 75 days in the life of Christ which are recorded in, in the gospel accounts. And it's interesting that John would hone in on this one day in the life of Christ, chapters 13 to 19. Why is this so important? Well, let me read something that Jesus said in, in Matthew chapter 24, 
starting in verse 4. Just, you don't need to, you know, turn there. Just, just listen to this. These are some of the things that Christ said to his disciples before he departed. And he said, you will be hearing of wars and rumors of war so that you are not frightened for those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom and in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. They will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. At that time, many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. And because of lawlessness, most people's love will grow cold. Now you read a passage like that and that's pretty dark. Uh, in fact, a passage like that can be pretty frightening. Let me tell you something that's worse than that. If Christ never told us that that was coming and it one day came and we were never prepared, that would be worse. And so praise God that he tells us certain things in advance so that we can prepare for them and live accordingly. And so the passage that we're considering in John's gospel uh, this week uh, is a passage where Jesus repeatedly said things like John 13, 19, from now on I'm telling you before it comes to pass, so that when it does occur, you may believe that I am he, John 13, 19. Or John 16, 33, these things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. And so Jesus, yes, had this habit of, yes, informing us even of some of the hard things that are coming, but he tells us so that we might be prepared. And John chapter 15 is part of that. But not only does he tell us about the hard times that are coming, in the book of Revelation, praise God, he speaks to us about the better tomorrow, which is also to come. And so we read in the revelation that God gave John in Revelation chapter 21, John said, Then I saw the new heaven and the new earth, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people. And God himself will be among them, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will no longer be any death, no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. And then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Well, praise God that he gave us that too because that's our great hope. And everything that has been going wrong here is gonna be made right then. Back when I went on staff at Bodensioff, I went as an RA in 1984 with the intent of being there for six months and next year that'll be 40 years. And as is the case often during Bible school, some of the guys at school wanna watch the Super Bowl. Now in 1984, we didn't have the technology that we have today. 
So what we had to do, we had to call home and ask somebody at home to record the Super Bowl on what is known as, and I've got to explain this to some in the audience tonight, they were VHS cassette videotapes. Forget it. Um, so I think they had to use three to get the whole game on there. And then we would say, please FedEx it and we'll watch the game live when the tapes arrive. And then we made a covenant, all the guys who were going to watch the game together, nobody calls home, nobody listens to a radio, nobody reads the paper so that we can watch the game live. Do you understand that? Well, I hate to report this, but some in the Bible school broke the covenant. And I don't know if they called home or read a paper or what, but they knew the score before the game started. And so we're sitting in there in the lecture hall at Bodensielf, and idiots like me are, are cheering for the faults, for the ones who were going to lose. And the ones who knew the score just sat there, relaxed, trying not to laugh at me, saying, I know how this game ends. We know how this game ends. We know the score. And we not only know the hard times that Jesus spoke about in Matthew 24, but we know what's coming. Amen? Yes. So good that Jesus tells us things in advance like he has. Right in the middle of all of this that he to told his disciples, we have John chapter 15. Jesus is the master communicator. And it's interesting, in the gospel accounts, he often used pictures out of creation to communicate spiritual truth. Do you know, Scripture says in 2 uh, Corinthians 5, 7, we are called to walk by faith and not by... And yet, God knows that our hearts are mis distrusting of him. And so he works overtime and he actually appeals to our sight to encourage our faith. And so he uses pictures out of nature in order to communicate spiritual truth to us. And he's going to do that in John 15 when he talks about the vine and the branch. But I've noted that Jesus spoke about moth, bird, lilies, dogs, pigs, rocks, sand, foxes, birds, sheep, wolves, serpents, doves, Reeds, oxen, trees, vipers, sower, seed, pearls, skies, leaven, fig trees, wind, water, river, light, wheat, and vines. And so he was using a lot of pictures from nature because he knew that there were certain things that his, in, in his day that people could understand very clearly and he used them to illustrate and communicate spiritual truth. And it's one of the things I tell Gabi is that when we go on vacation and we're just out in God's creation. You know, Psalms 19 says that day to day creation pours forth speech. And it speaks of the character of the creator. And there is something to be gained from that. And we can look at what he has made and appreciate spiritual truths. And so a flower becomes a sermon and a sky becomes a declaration of God himself. 
essential to know that John chapter 15, verses 1 to 8 in particular, deal with uh, growth in sanctification. They don't deal with becoming a Christian, rather they deal with being the Christian you've become. Judas had already left the disciples. He did so in, in uh, John chapter 13 and verse 30, so he was not a part of this group. So it definitely had to do with the disciples who knew Christ. And they were well acquainted with this picture that Christ was going to use in John chapter 15 because it was a picture that God used in the Old Testament of his relationship with his people. And you can see that in Psalm 80 and Isaiah chapter 5. He talks about Israel being his vine. But this was his comment and basically sums up the history of Israel up until he sent Isaiah to speak to them. God says in Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 4, What more was there to do for my vineyard than I have not done in it? Why, when I expected it to produce good grapes, did it produce worthless ones? And so the history of God's people as, as, as the choice vine of God was one of failure. This is why John chapter 15 is so significant. This, the, the disciples would have been very familiar with that. And not only that, they would have been familiar with the history of Israel. Now, God's faithfulness to Israel is one of the greatest testimonies and encouragements that I can have as a Christian today for his faithfulness to me. And so we can take great comfort in that. And so if you're seated here this evening and you look over your shoulder in the past and your life in Christ has not been what it's supposed to be, if your life in Christ has not produced the results that would be God-pleasing and glorifying, John 15 is for you. John 15 is a significant passage as to how to live and be the Christian you've become. Basically, Jesus says in John 15, I've come to be what you're not, and I've come to do what you can't. That's the message. You see, Christ, not the Christian, is the center of God's universe. And the simple reason is because he has come to be what I'm not and to do what I can't. In theological terms, we speak about the substitutionary death of Christ. He died in my place. But we speak too little about the substitutionary life of Christ. He also lives in my place. So the whole of the Christian life is based upon the principle and the truth as a substitute. He died for me and he also lives for me. Both are true. And we can't preach one without the other. The whole gospel is really the offer of life. It's not just the offer of a lifestyle. It's the offer of life. John chapter 3 and verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but go to heaven. Well, if that's what your translation says, it's a bad translation. Because that's not the offer of the gospel. Don't get me wrong. Somebody wrote to me uh, some time ago after I'd said this, and they said, you don't believe in heaven, do you? Oh, yes, I do. But that's not the offer of the gospel in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. 
And eternal life is not a place I enter after I die. Eternal life is a person who enters me before I die. And when that person enters me before I die, I have an eternal home with him after I die. But the offer of the gospel is life. In Acts chapter 5 and verse 20, God said to the apostles, go and proclaim all the words of this life. Romans chapter 5 and verse 10, we're reconciled by his death, but we're saved by his life. Ephesians chapter two and verses four and five, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. First John chapter five and verses 11 and 12, and this is the testimony that God has given us, eternal life and this life is in his son. He who has the son has the life, and he who does not have the son does not have the life. God offers us the life of Christ, and his life is eternal life. And the one who died for me is the come, one who has come to live in me. Now in John chapter 15, Jesus speaks of himself being the vine and you and I being the branch. So let's look at the vine. Jesus actually said in John chapter 15 and verse 1, I am the true vine. And that statement is one of the I am statements of Christ in the Gospel of John. Traditionally, we think of the seven I am statements, and that's true. There are a few more than the seven, but the seven are usually I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life, etc., etc. And when Jesus took this name and applied it to himself, he was going back to Exodus chapter three when God appeared to Moses and gave himself a name. And the name that he gave himself was this one, I am who I am. Now let me say two things about that name. Number one, when God named himself, he named himself with a verb. I didn't learn much in grade school, in particular about English grammar, but I remember that a verb indicates action. And secondly, God named himself in the present tense because God is eternal. I am. Human life changes. I went to my 20th high school reunion and I saw some of my classmates after 20 years and I walked away saying, my goodness, have they changed. I'm not sure that I would have been hanging around them at this stage in their lives. Our life, human life, changes. That is built into the nature of our being because we are transient. We were supposed to be eternal, but we're temporal. And so we change. God doesn't change. He is eternal. And that's why he named himself, I am who I am, is because at the, the eternal one never changes. Time is marked by change. So I can look at my, my cell phone up here and I see the numbers, you know, going forward. I see change on my watch and I know that, that time is passing by. Time is marked by change. Eternity is marked by timelessness. 
In fact, C.S. Lewis said that the only word that we can use in the English language to define eternity is the word now. It's the present tense. This may sound very theoretical to you, but it's not. Because every day I wake up, I can count on the fact that Jesus is going to be the same. Somewhere along the, ro- the way, I-, I heard God can do everything. Then I read my Bible a few times and I realized that there are certain statements about God himself in scripture. And one of them is 2 Timothy 2.13. And it says, when we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. In other words, he can't change. And this provides tremendous confidence for us and assurance to trust him. I don't like that the, um, the, the comment, risk another step of faith with Jesus, as if faith is a risk. I understand from the human perspective, it seems like it, but from God's perspective, no. I, I trust the one who cannot change. Not that he will not change, but he cannot. He is eternal. And so every day, every circumstance, I can trust in the vine. I am the true vine. It's tremendous assurance. When God applied this name to Christ, when we're weak, he's our strength. When we're afraid, he's our peace. When we're perplexed, he's our wisdom. And he also said, I am the true vine. And in John's gospel, uh, he, he uses uh, this word a number of times. He said, I'm the true light. I'm the true bread. I'm the true food. I'm the true drink. And now he says, I'm the true vine. Well, if something is true, it, it's not an opinion to be discussed. It's an imperative to be obeyed. It's not up for debate. And what truth also does is that it exposes that which is false. Now, Rachel here at um, His Hill has, has just been so kind to Gabi and to me and, and going above the, beyond the, the call of duty. And so I asked for her help this evening. I have the two, um, you know, arrangements of flower here up on front on the podium today. And from the back, they probably both look pretty good. At least I was sitting there in the front row and I thought that they did. But the fact of the matter is, one of them's a fake. And one of them's the real thing. And really the only way you can determine that is to get a little bit closer. How come it is today that sometimes you see something called Christianity from afar and then you get a little bit closer and you realize it's a fake? Why is it fake? Well, the difference is origin. Man made this one. God made this one. This one looks pretty good from afar. But you come up and, and feel its leaves or, or try and smell that. It's not going to smell like the real thing. 
The difference is origin. And I would make the strong argument, the origin of our Christian life is more important than the content. Because when the origin is right, the content will be right. Please don't misunderstand me nor misquote me. I did not just say that the content of our Christian life is unimportant. Of course it's important, tremendously important. But the origin is more important because when the origin is right, the content is right. The origin is everything. Christ says, I am the true vine. And he came and basically, in the gospel accounts, exposed those who were living a life supposedly God-pleasing, but they weren't. The true vine exposes the fake. I am the true vine. A vine is, is a form of life, and the essence of life is that it is reproductive by nature. Life is reproductive by nature. Life is really the power to reproduce its own kind. And eternal life is not different. Eternal life reproduces its own kind, and it produces eternal fruit. In Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 16, Scripture says that God's life is indestructible. It is eternal life. Now, this may sound theoretical again, but it's not. And here's why. In Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 2, speaking of Christ, Scripture says, For he, Christ, grew up before him, his father, like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. Christ lived in a moral, spiritual desert in his day, and yet he flourished. You see, circumstances are incidental to the life of Christ who dwells within me. Circumstances don't determine my spiritual well-being nor my maturity. They can reveal it, but they don't determine it. And the life of Christ within me is unaffected by the things and in the ways that affect me. Christ doesn't fear the things I fear. He does not worry about the things that I worry about. He is not defeated by the things that defeat me. He is unaffected by the things that I am exposed to in the way that I am, by comparison. And so I have one living within me whose life is overcoming life, whose life always wins. He's not affected by the things around me that affect me. Jesus is the true vine. Not your family, not your student body, not your Bible school, not your pastor, not your group of friends determine your spiritual well-being. Christ does. And Christ's life is the life that always wins. So he is the true vine. He exposes everything that is false and unlike him. He did not come to help me live the Christian life. 
He is the life that I'm sometimes trying to live. And the question is, of course, okay, what's my responsibility? And to that point, we'll come tomorrow. Secondly, you're the branch. You're the branch. A branch has no life in itself. You separate a branch from the vine and it dies. A branch is the living extension of the vine. And a branch is really the means by which or the channel through which the vine reproduces his life. I'm the channel for the life of Christ which wants to reproduce itself. Jesus Christ does not ask me to imitate his life. Jesus Christ asks me to allow him to live that life through me if I'm totally yielded to him and have fulfilled all the right conditions. I gave this example already at a, at a Thanksgiving conference, so just be patient with me. I'm old enough to remember when the WWJD bracelets came out, what would Jesus do? Now I see all kinds of letters on these bracelets. Whoever came out with WWJD probably made a lot of money on it. Like me, a pastor at a church where I was preaching in Canada was raising his children along this principle. And I talked about these things and I was sitting at their, their lunch table after church and the wife spoke to me and she said, you know, that really got under my skin what you said this morning because I raised my, my children this way. My son was misbehaving recently and I had to discipline him. And then afterwards I said, now next time, look at your bracelet, remember what Jesus would do and do likewise. And the little kid looked up at his mother and said, yeah, but mom, I'm not Jesus. I like the little kid's theology. <laughs> I'm not called to imitate the life of Christ. I am indwelt by the life of Christ. And that life wants to be expressed through me. I am the means by which he wants to do that. And when I'm born again by his spirit, the spirit communicates into me, his branch, the very life of Christ. One last thing about the branch. The value of a branch lies in the fact that it gives up fruit. Fruit is not for the branch to keep. If fruit stays on the branch too long, it either dries up or rots. The branch is to give away the fruit. And the more we give away, the more room there is for the vine to reproduce more. So our lives are lives where we're the givers of everything that Christ produces. We give that up. Fruit needs to be harvested. Well, let me close with the following few comments. If Christ is the vine and I am the branch, and he calls me to be the means by which he reproduces his life in this world, the great privilege of every Christian is to live in total dependence upon Christ so that he can take total responsibility for me. If Christ calls me to be dependent upon him, what he is saying at the same time is, I am willing to take responsibility for you. Some here are carrying a burden. 
some here are carrying a burden that they don't have to bear because that burden is Christ's to bear. And as long as I live in dependence upon him and live obediently working out what he works in, then he is willing to take over responsibility for me. What a privilege to live on those terms. We were created to be dependent. If you remember, man was created on the sixth day. So the first day he spent on earth was the seventh day. And the seventh day was the Sabbath day when God rested because all the work was done. And the spotlight of his love rested upon man with whom he longed to fellowship. And by the way, the seventh day is the only day in the creation account that does not have this phrase after it. And there was evening or there was morning and there was evening one day. That doesn't appear. Because there was something about the seventh day that God intended to be true of every day. When man showed up on the seventh day, he had contributed nothing to what he enjoyed that day. God was the giver, man was the receiver. And the secret of God's relationship with man is that he's the giver. My relationship with God and the secret to it is I am the receiver. So the greatest privilege that I can know is increasing dependence upon Jesus. In fact, discipleship is very simply learning how to depend upon Jesus no matter what happens. And in the kingdom of God, growth takes place in the exact opposite direction as it does in natural life. In natural life, we enter into this world very dependent and we grow towards increasing independence. In the kingdom of God, we grow from a position of independence and the older we get, the more dependent we are to be on Christ. It's exactly the opposite direction. And the branch is to be totally, completely dependent upon the vine. So this week, if you've come here, and if you will, the results of your Christian life have not been what they should be. John 15 is for you. John 15 is for me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Before I pray, let me read this. It's entitled, I am what you want. There's statements on all the seven I am statements of Jesus. When you desire the light more than what he reveals, you'll see what you haven't understood. When you desire the bread more than being satisfied, you'll enjoy the inner satisfaction you crave. When you desire the door more than the pasture he exposes, you'll enter spiritual reality. When you desire the shepherd more than his voice, you'll hear him speak to you by name. When you desire the resurrection more than being raised, you'll start doing the impossible. When you desire the way more than the direction he gives, you'll know where to go. When you desire the truth more than acquiring knowledge, you'll search the depths of God 
When you desire the life more than the Christian life, you'll experience Christ as your life. And when you desire the vine more than the fruit he produces, you'll bear fruit that remains. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you that you have not left us uninformed or unaware of what comes upon us in this world. And I thank you that you said these things beforehand so that as we see things today play out before our very eyes, we understand that you spoke about these things over 2,000 years ago. But even more than that, Lord Jesus, I thank you that you prepared us these days for these days by your indwelling life. Lord, I would pray that you would teach us what it means to remain dependent upon you and to abide in you. And so, Lord, I'd pray that you would take your word and speak to us directly. And I would pray for somebody here this evening who's come in discouragement because they just can't say that this has been real. Lord, I'd pray that you would teach them and encourage them that Christ is their life. And we thank you for that. And pray this in his name. Amen.